0: How's the summer? You working? Applied to the Ocean House and then I have also applied to the Andrea as well. Just Those, doing like, a-
1: fancy bars
0: and restaurants. One's a uh, upscale hotel, which is the Ocean oh, House, right. and right. then the Andrea is beach type of like restaurant. So like you could All get right. like a mix of like anything there. Cool.
1: I love Westerly.
0: Yeah. So how did you end up being a producer for the real housewives of salt lake city
1: Yeah, a lot of it is just a lot of network one of my friends from home sister is a co-ep for a lot of like the, the housewives and vanderpump rules so i worked with her on the hype house and basically just through connections and networking and showing people that you know what you're doing they kind of bring you along with them so luckily She brought me along with her to the Housewives of Salt Lake City as a producer shooter. So I have that kind of niche where I can work a field team or if they need me to go shoot a scene on my own, I can do that, too. So most of my jobs have just been through networking. And you just kind of continue like any any business person, just build your network and you know if they need something i'm happy to help them out and, and vice versa so house was fun it was crazy and i was happy they uh they dragged me in along with them
0: now going off of that what does it mean to be a story producer
1: so a story producer is someone who sits at an edit bay and just like watches down all of the footage and in the field we have an idea of how we think that scene will play out with the story like okay these two people were fighting now you have to basically find the perfect bits that show how that fight started, the highlights of the fight itself, and what kind of resolution is there, if there is any. If there's no resolution, then what's gonna happen next, almost like a teaser. Mm -hmm. So you spend a lot of time watching footage and interviews to try to craft a story that's in front of you in the best way. And then you work with an editor who then makes it look great. They put the music in to help your mood change. Like if it goes from like a happy moment to a very awkward angsty moment, they use that music cue to like switch it. And so I'm like, Hey, this is where it's, it's happy fun time. This is where people are kind of like awkward. Like why are they talking about something that happened three years ago that we mm-hmm. thought was squashed to the blow up fight. And that's kind of like where the music changes. And then you also help create questions for the interview. So if like you need to get in someone's head that wasn't in the footage, you ask a question like, why are you bringing something up from three years ago when you said at the time it was squash? Like what is the catalyst for that? So we can get inside their brain. So then in the reality, we can cut away to like, their inner monologue, like this bitch brought it up to so-and-so two weeks ago. So of course I'm going to bring up now because it's da 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 So then we have a more clear cut way of what's going on in their minds as to what we see in
0: reality. Now, when it comes to the unexpected moments, what do you yeah. do in order to de-escalate if it ever gets to a certain situation? So
1: I luckily have never had to de-escalate on set between two, two characters or two cast members. But a lot of times there's always security on site. The other thing about reality is we're not supposed to step in until it gets to like a a point where it's like, oh, now there's going to be some type of violence. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, if it's getting that exciting, you'll have like the executive producers or the co-EPs or people who who, like the head in charge, they'll like come out to the floor where the scene is being to like either try to de-escalate it or kind of like set the conversation right on track. Or there's been times where like, you know, sometimes they just need a break mm-hmm. which is weird in reality because you want to catch everything as is two women are fighting and they go off to like cool off our cameras will follow them to see a lot of times they'll, they'll film them talking to the producer like that's stuff we can use kind of like behind the scenes like a lot of times we'll shoot it from afar so it's like almost you're not supposed to be in that scene mm-hmm. you're kind of sneaking into it there was an incident that happened on storage wars where two of the guys fought i was filming in miami while they were filming in los angeles so i i wasn't there mm-hmm. and it was just i mean the clips online like producers jump in to try to separate them and then security comes in and it was crazy and i'm kind of glad i wasn't there on set because it was. Crazy. Most of the time, my de-escalation comes from like a rush shooting in public with fans or onlookers or people who just want to be obnoxious and film what we're filming just to be idiots. So that's where the, the my just de-escalation process usually takes uh, takes charge.
0: Interesting. Now, going off of that, talking about Storage Wars, which character do you feel most is best equipped when it comes to flipping items.
1: Everyone that was found on that show was found at storage auctions. Mm-hmm. So the very beginning, they all had their own stores. They all would set up at swap meets. They all would would really be into the the resale business. As the show went on, a lot of times, they kind of like, a lot of them no don't have brick and mortar stores anymore. So currently I think Renee he, he loves praise, but Renee is really good at what he does. Renee's is a Hoda. He's really good at what he does. He knows items, he knows how to sell them. He knows what sells and he still has a store and he just doesn't do like storage auctions. He does estate sales. He'll buy like an entire house just for the stuff and get it out and then resell it. So I think right now it's Renee. Ivy still has a store. He's still he's still doing it. He does a lot of online auctions too, like on Facebook. They're fun to watch because Ivy's a great char- uh, person slash character. Dave Hester was like the king of swap meets for forever. And I think he still is, still Dave. He's still the yup guy. But yeah, I think those three now anyway, are the the top flippers.
0: Now going off of that, why do you think Home Free lasted for only a short amount of time?
1: So Home Free lasted two seasons. I was lucky enough to work on the second season. And the thing about Home Free was all about the surprise. The first season was amazing. So the, the premise of season one was remodel houses in the hopes that if they were the best, they would move on and move on and move on and win a house for themselves. Mm -hmm. To do that, each week they would help remodel, rebuild a house for a deserving family. And then of course the the surprise at the end of the show was the the couple that got, got kicked off the show, they'd be like, you wanna come see who the home was for? Like how much work you did? And it was actually given to the person who lost. So every week, even though the person lost, they were still given a new home. And of course the houses got better and better the longer you stayed. Mm. But it was that surprise moment that really gave that show heart. For the second season, it was the same premise. Like if you were eliminated week one, your hero still got a house, but it wasn't as great as the house that the person in week 10 or house 10 got. So that was harder to keep a surprise because we built them all on the same block. So I think it's with that show, it's just trying to keep it so tight-lipped. Some some of the people are like, well, I know my hero gets a house, so like, what what's my incentive? Like they're gonna get a home no matter what. Like, so then we added the hundred thousand dollar bonus. Like. Not only does your does your hero get a house but you get 100k So that like helped push them along and keep them in the um, in the competition.
0: Now what was it like being a producer for the hype House?
1: I actually really appreciate and respect those young people. It's weird because they are so young. it was crazy to see how much wealth that they had at such a young age but it was also crazy to see how hardworking they were. Like, they really understood, like, this is a short moment in time. I have to capitalize on it. They're trying to balance their social media presence, their YouTube, their TikTok, their Twitter, whatever they have, with filming a TV show. So they need, like, four hours to film, like, one of their stunts that we didn't get approved to film on the show. So that means we would almost lose the cast for half a day. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of, like, going back and forth. And then they also edit. So they do everything on their own. They film it. They create it. They shoot it, they edit it, they do everything on their own. So that takes time. So the biggest obstacle that was was timing, but like they were all really good people. My niece was very excited when I worked on the show because they were in love with all of them. Being a late 30 year old watching 20 year old millionaires was a little eye opening. My favorite story is one of them we get in there more, we get there in the morning and they're doing their breakfast and coffee thing and we're talking about the day. And it was Thomas, who's like the leader of the Hype House. He's the one to put it all together. He's kind of like the manager. Super great business mind. Super good dude. He goes, Rob, come over here. He goes, should I get this car? And he's looking at like, gone in 60 seconds, that Mustang, yeah. Eleanor. And he's like, should I get this? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, it's only like 75K. Like, I'm just thinking about getting it. And in my mind, I'm like, that just just on a whim, $75,000 car, huh? And I think he got it. It was just like shell shock. It's like, what? Like... I'd have to finance that forever, take out a second mortgage. So it was a lot of fun. People I worked with on that show were a lot of fun too. We were a close group. And I liked that show because it wasn't a lot about like pushing the drama. It was like, let's get in these, these young people's lives and see like what they do and how they live together. So it was like a rich person's frat house.
0: No, it sounds interesting. Just like the dynamics and like what they've done to put themselves in the position that they are now.
1: Yeah, and how do they keep it going? Because they know it's fleeting, mm-hmm. especially now with TikTok and social media like, Like it's five minutes of fame and then it could be gone. But like they've been, they've managed to like hold on to like their following. A lot of times they'd have these wonderful ideas that we couldn't get involved with. One, because the network was like, no, we don't want that on our show. Or like they want to go up in a helicopter and we couldn't put our camera operators in a helicopter because of a million insurance reasons. So that was, that was tough. But we really got to see like them together and breaking up too because. One of the main things was uh, Chase Hudson, Lil Huddy, who goes just Huddy now. Mm. He was trying to figure out where he fit. It, was he still in the hype house? Was he like really pursuing this music career full time? So we got to see the decision process and that breakup, more or less. Like He basically had to be like, hey, I have to leave. This is my path. And then for Tom, it was like, okay, if everyone's starting to leave, like where does that leave us in this house? Like With dwindling members, do we try to get new members? Do we kind of like let everyone go their own way?
0: What goes into like being a field producer?
1: So a field producer is basically the not the director on set, but you're just there to make to like to one, make sure the conversation stays and stuff we can use kind of like remind them of stuff that maybe happened a couple of days before. So, for instance, if we're following if there was a scene with two people and they talked about a third person and mm-hmm. our minds, were like, okay, how do we get that information to that third person? naturally because we can't step in and tell them anything like no matter how much we know one person hates the other person we can't be the one to tell them that there has to be someone uh, like a a cast member on the show has to be the one to to tell them that so then we have to try to figure okay who might be who might spill the beans to this person to get that information over to them so there's a lot of those conversations but then we can't just it can't just like oh what does I'm sit down here. We have to also like make it make it fun, make it make it an activity, make it not just two people sitting at a table every scene. So that's where we bring in our segment producers. But okay, we have these three women who we need to put in some type of fun situation to have this conversation. And then they start talking, and, and like eventually the conversation just come out. Like we don't have to like push them and be like, hey, you said this about that because then that's again stepping over that line. So it's a fine line. But it's a, it's a fun line to tiptoe around.
0: No, it definitely sounds interesting because you have to be strategic about it, but you know what you're trying to do, but you can't have it be like, Yeah, this is what I want, but you have to think about it yourself.
1: Yeah, you can't tell them be like there there are times where like they'll they'll deny it and like, no, I never said that, I never said that, never said that and every once in a while, like after you're usually like, you did. <laughs> and we're going we're just gonna play you saying that mm. as you're telling them you didn't. So and that helps us because it's like it shows like that person's not truthful, that person can't take accountability. So that is an ad, that that's when it comes to story producing, looking now that's like, okay, like she's denied, 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 denied. But clearly we're just gonna keep keep going back, keep flashback, keep flashback. So that shows aside a lot of characters, just in them not being not not having that accountability
0: now for the like wide experience that you had for someone who wants to go into the entertainment industry what advice would you give them
1: the networking thing like you you've done a great job murphy's done a great job and it's just like trying to learn what you can while you're on set i'm on the mindset like if the job needs to get done i'm happy to help like if if the camera guys are struggling getting equipment like i'll pick it up and help them and on unscripted shows, that's usually okay, but as soon as you get into, like, the unions and stuff like that, like, with a lot of scripted shows and, like, higher unscripted shows, they have bigger teams to, like, to do all of that, so I'm not allowed to touch anything. But just knowing that, like, I always try to make sure everyone knows that I care about them and their job and what they mean to the production. Mm-hmm. So I'm not one of those people who flies off the handle or yells unless it's absolutely necessary like have a conversation especially if it's in the moments PAs or drivers something that they don't understand like the little things of like the do's and don'ts like yeah you you shouldn't get that close to like to the talent before the scene because they might be in a mindset and then joking with you now they're just in this happy or lucky place it's watching it's learning it's networking it's throwing like you got to take risks every once in a while like hey I saw that you're on this show I would love to be on that show like what can I do with you even if you don't know that person but you have a weird connection like i've done that like hey you work with this person i work with that person i see you run this show i want to be on that show this is what i can do this is what i have done this is why i think i would be great for what you're doing Mm -hmm. and like there's times where i've had to take like take weird chances when i went to alaska for the first time for bering sea gold I had never operated a camera full time. One of my operators had to go to the bathroom, they handed it to me for a short period amount of time. But when I went to Alaska, I was the producer, I was the operator, I was the sound guy, I was my PA, I was my driver, I was everything. And I was scared shitless when I took the job, but I knew this would open a million more doors. One, it would help me in my in my post background because it's just me. It's me getting the story, it's me getting the cutaway, it's me getting the B-roll, it's me getting every little piece of the story that that person needs to tell the story that I'm filming. Mm-hmm. It's me in my mind being like, okay, they're talking about this or this broke. If that breaks, what does that do to their end goal of X amount, amount of gold? Like, is that like, how, how intense is it? Can we make it more intense? Like, is it just like, oh, I have 50 million screws back of things, so it's just going to cost me three hours okay well three hours how much is that in gold so you always have to have related back to the big the big picture one of the best things i did was i said no to a job that i didn't didn't think was going to fit what i wanted and it ended up working out in my favor even though a lot of people didn't think it was going to i was a um clearance coordinator for storage wars so every time they find something i would have to like find the person to like who owns the product whatever and be like hey we want to show this on tv Could we have your permission blah 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 and they wanted me to to jump into the field but not as a field producer as like a field pa and it was basically like you're the driver you're just going everywhere so i was like no like i don't want to drive 14 hours like a day so like that's not for me and they're like mm-hmm. what do you mean that's the next step i'm like well not for me like i was still trying to do the acting thing at that point and going from the flexibility of going to auditions for not much more money and not much more exciting work it wasn't for me so that was tough to say no and a lot of people were like well we're going to write him off they had trouble finding a field producer for another show so i had to sit down and basically plead my case with three of like the top executives at original productions and they're like all right well you know this isn't the path you're supposed to take but we're gonna, we're gonna roll the dice and if you mess up like it's bad and luckily I didn't. So the chance I took saying no and the chance they took on me like yeah. worked out. So I'm very, very happy that I I said no when I did. Cause it can be scary, especially in this industry. You don't want to piss people off. You don't want to tell, you don't want to show people like you don't want the job. Like I wanted the job, but I just didn't want the hassle that came with it at the time. So I'm very lucky that it worked out in my favor and I took that chance, so. Take chances, learn, network. Don't be afraid to ask questions, but ask questions at the right time. Like, there's there's people who I'll be listening. They'll come like to try to chat. I'm like, hey, wait till this is done. I'll tell you everything you need to know.
0: Now, going off of that a bit, you mentioned acting. Do you want to go into that a bit? Sure,
1: sure. So, mm, um, as a child, my my best friend's parents thought I should have been a Disney kid, mm-hmm. and I've always been kind of theatrical and dramatic and goofy. And I don't mind being the center of attention. Um, I like telling stories and holding court and meeting people and learning stories and so went to college for marketing didn't do anything acting wise didn't do any plays in high school because i thought it was i it was at the point where you either you're their jock or a theater kid and i was an athletic kid so couldn't do both which was stupid they had an open casting call when i was in connecticut for the bronx is burning which was an espn miniseries about the yankees and they needed people that looked like they're from the '70s. So at the time, I had long hair like this, and I play I played baseball my entire life, not collegiately or whatever, but I could make it look normal. So I went, and then they ended up needing like featured extras. So I had to put on Yankee uniform uniform arm for ten weeks. So I was a Red Sox fan, that really hurt. And my father didn't allow me in the house while I was wearing it, but it was it was a lot of fun, like. It was mostly just pantomiming in the background, but I was in the background of a lot of shots. I got to hang out with John Turturro, Oliver Platt, Daniel Sunjata. A bunch of the guys that were on The Sopranos came over. It was it was wild. It was great. And, like, there was other independent ball players who were playing other Yankees, and we just, like, had a great time for 10 weeks. And that's when I was like, oh, this could be a lot of fun. Mm. And then I moved to Boston. I took a couple of improv classes. I did a couple extra work here and there. And then I, I tried to move to California a few times, but there was some... Some pretty tragic events that that didn't allow that there was a time where like i was a consultant for a project management company that was ending my lease was ending in south boston everything was just kind of lining up to be perfect lived with a buddy's couches for a couple weeks and we got an apartment and then that's how i got into the rally world too like my buddy justin from assumption, mm. hired me to be a logger for reality, just basically watching footage and marking what happens. So editors come back, and it was so flexible, like going on auditions, doing that. So I um, did a couple commercials, did a bunch of extra work, and then I started really falling like into a career path for for the reality world. So and then the my big joke is Chris Pratt stole my career, so I had nothing to do. So they already had their their goofy big guy, so I'm out of a job. And then I just kind of like nice and easily fell into the path of producing reality TV. And I told myself when I moved out to California, it's like, if the acting thing isn't working or it's not like taking off, like it's okay to like find the path that works. And reality, luckily unscripted was the path I found. And I mean, that's a struggle. Like I have a lot of friend actor friends who've been doing it, grinding it out for, for these 10 years. And, you know, it's, it's just waiting for the shoe to drop. I have, I have some friends who are doing very well. Like like voiceover friends who, who who now have their own shows, it's 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 also crazy who you meet out here. It's weird, but it's fun. So yeah, acting it's always in the back of my mind, but the fact that I'm enjoying what I'm doing and making TV and being in the industry and traveling for work like I can't I can't complain.
0: What was it like at Assumption? Um, well when I when I played at Assumption, we were pretty bad.
1: We were not that great of a program. Um, my I think we went two and eight, No, we went one and nine, two and eight, four and seven, and then one and ten, I think, again. So basically, I looked at it as, like, I love the sport. I still mm-hmm. play flag football now. Like, I still run around with the 20-year-olds and, like, hope I don't hurt myself. I always did better when the season was on because I had much more structure. Assumption got great. They have some kids in the NFL now, which is amazing.
0: Now, who is your favorite football team?
1: Hundred percent the Patriots. My favorite Patriot of all time is probably Troy Brown. He's a good um, he was the he was the receiver that that he was the Edelman before there was an Edelman. He he was he was a two way player at one point. He was an amazing slot receiver, and then you had uh, Amendola and Welker that came along and kind of like did the same thing. Like, and then Edelman was a two way player. So yeah, I still love Tom Brady and I love Drew Bledsoe. They're in my top five easily, and it's tough to see Tom Tom win mm-hmm. in Tampa Bay, but it's like. He's still the best quarterback to ever do it, so it's like I can't root for him unless right. he's playing the Patriots. Then don't hurt him, but like beat him up.
0: A few years back, maybe five or so, during the Super Bowl LI ceremony for like the Patriots, I was on the field for that. Shut up!
1: Are you? Were you working?
0: <laughs> yeah, I was working. So like they had wow. a, you know, like I don't remember if you like know this, but like you know the signs that like they had held up
1: for this for the ceremony.
0: Yeah. For the ceremony when like Mark Wahlberg like talked and doing the whole thing. Fucking Wahlberg, dude. Yeah. Hey, say hi to your mother for me, okay?
1: <laughs> I did a couple of extra days in that movie, Ted. If you look over Mila Kunis and Joan McHale's shoulder, mm-hmm. you'll see me swaying to Nora Jones. He picks good action, fun movies. It was weird. So the first time we filmed with Mila Kunis and Joe McHale, we were on a soundstage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're, they're both super nice. Like, I think I made Mila Kunis laugh, so that was a big big win. And then the second part was the actual concert itself. So the first time they're concentrating on Mila and Joel, and the second time they're concentrating on, on Mark on stage with Nora Jones. So Mila Kunis and Joel McHale weren't there for the second one, but it was a Bruins player who hopped the fence to fight Wahlberg. And it was, it was. I mean, they're always fun. I mean, a lot of times there's an extra, their days are just very long. Like you sit around for, for 10 hours and you use for maybe two to four and it's boring, but you get to see a lot of behind the scenes. So that's why I didn't I never minded it. I'm like, I will I will watch these people work all day every day. Like it's fine with me. So that was uh my favorite days on set were for the Bronx is burning because it was literally like I'm sitting next to Tura, who's one of my favorite actors, and as an extra usually don't talk, but on the last day he walked around, he's like, Hey, if I come up to you and say something, improv with me. Like, say something back and we'll get you paid. So the last day on set, we're in the locker room after we won. And he goes, well, Kenny, I played some Ken Holtzman. I'm like, yeah, skip one hell of a season, huh? And he goes, yeah, but I don't think we're bringing you back. And that got me an extra, like, 200 bucks for the day. And it wasn't used, but the fact that he was like, hey, let me get you paid. I was like, yeah, let's, let's do that. So that was fun. Also, like, the, the the other baseball players on set were, I mean, we're all, like, in our mid-20s, like, living the dream at that point. I like my where my level is now because people are like, oh, don't you want to show run? Don't you want to do this and the other thing? Like, thing is, I like being involved in the decisions, but like being the decision maker right now scares me. It's like, I know know the story and what should happen, but to be the one that's like, no, that one I don't like, this one I do like scares me. Like, I like sharing my ideas and helping like come up with like the grand scheme of things. But like, I'm happy where I am currently, but who knows, maybe that'll change, maybe I'll be forced to change. And then much like I did in Alaska, hopefully I thrive. And I figure it out.
0: Thank you again for allowing me to yeah. interview you.
1: Of course, dude, I'm happy to, this was fun. Cause now it's like, oh yeah, I kind of do. Whenever I have these conversations, like, yeah, I, I guess I kind of do know what I'm doing in this, in this world.